Like I said, we was just trying to do something to quit playing that same thing we'd been playing. And the thing came about in 10 minutes. Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This is a special episode because this is the birthday episode of Grass Talk Radio. It was one year ago that I launched the podcast and actually on the very first day I put up the first two episodes and before I got started I had the first 10 recorded because I thought I'm going to stay way ahead and as time has gone on like so many things in life I stay one or two ahead now but I was 10 ahead at the beginning and I would continue recording new ones as I put out the ones that were already lined up but anyway This is episode 53, so this is the first episode of year two of doing Grass Talk Radio, and I thought it might be important because a lot of people, I'm sure, have come along and got in somewhere in the middle and listened out of order, and and that's all perfectly fine, but I think it's a good idea once in a while just to remind you and to remind myself why I'm doing this. And I wrote it, if you go to grasstalkradio.com, the main index page there that lists all the episodes, I stated my purpose. And so I just want to restate my purpose since we're getting into the new year or into the second year of episodes. Here's what I wrote, and it's still true today. I produce this audio show to present ideas, motivation, and information to my own website visitors, students, and users of my instructional materials without the strict time constraints of videos. Many of the topics are useful for anyone learning to play any style of music, but I am focused on what I personally know the most about, and that is bluegrass. I've been a student, a performer, and a teacher for four decades, and am sharing my thoughts on things for people who play mandolin, bass, banjo, guitar, rezzo guitar, etc. I take some side trips, but the show is about learning to play and for folks who play it. Dive right in and you're bound to learn some new things and look at things in some different ways. So that was sort of my mission statement, you might say, for the show. And I may have strayed away from that a little bit here and there, but that still is the mission. The mission is to just spark some ideas in your head that you might not have thought of before that may help you to enjoy the experience of playing your instrument and playing bluegrass a little better. That's all I'm trying to do here. And I've said in several episodes, I can't recall which ones, that I think of the content that is in the podcast as being those things that I couldn't possibly package and sell. You know, I could tell you a story about the first time I went to a bluegrass festival and how stupid I felt and, you know, what I learned from that experience. 
And maybe I wasted 20 minutes on that. And you can't package that up and say, for $4.99, I will tell you how to not be an idiot at your first, you know, you can't do that stuff. So this stuff, while extremely valuable, is not very marketable. So I'm just filling in the gaps with all that crazy stuff that when you take lessons, your teacher sits there and tells you all these stories and gives you all this advice. That's all I'm doing here. All right, so to get into the theme of this being the birthday episode, I thought I would mention the song Happy Birthday, which a couple of years ago, uh, a court case came down and finally cited on the side that Happy Birthday is indeed a public domain song. There was, a, a, you know, I think it was Warner Chapel Music claimed copyright on it. And I read somewhere that they made in excess of a million dollars a year collecting royalties on movies and television shows and anybody that might sing happy birthday. And uh, it was challenged. And after, I think it, it turned into a class action lawsuit. And I think it was probably about 2014. I believe it was the Supreme Court decided that happy birthday is in fact in the public domain and anybody can perform it and sing it anytime they choose and they don't have to pay Warner. And in fact, I think Warner was ordered to pay back a whole bunch of royalties that had been paid to them, you know, some huge sum of money. Anyway, so in that spirit in just, you know, uh, putting that birthday cake out for grass talk radio. Here's a little bit of happy birthday. And before I do this, let me suggest that even though you're into bluegrass and you know, you like all the stuff you like, that's, that's great. Learn to play and sing happy birthday. There's going to be somebody in your audience with a birthday. And if you guys and gals can't play it, you're going to look like idiots. Come on. Learn it. It's three chords. Go on Wikipedia, type in happy birthday, and there's the music. The words and music. I don't think you need the words. You probably don't even need the music. It's three chords. My suggestion, do it in the key of C. Even though you bluegrassers, we bluegrassers like do everything in G, the general public, you'll, you'll find that with all you know, male and females and kids, C seems to be the happy medium in which everybody can sing the song. So learn it in the key of C. What we used to do was go through it slowly one time, you know, find out the person's name and embarrass them and that kind of thing. Get them to stand up, put a hat on them, sing the the typical slow version, and then we'd bust into a bluegrass, you know, kind of a bluegrassed up version of it. And here's a little example of Cedar Hill embarrassing someone at a gig singing them a kind of bluegrass version of Happy Birthday. <laughs> this is the Hard Luck Cafe. Your kids are beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Unbelievable. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Thank you. 
one other thing before we get into the meat of the show and that is i had a little another little technical snafu it happened yesterday all of the episodes that you've listened to all 52 prior to this one were recorded using a little digital recorder that i have called a zoom h2 and i think i probably had it maybe close to 10 years i've carried it around to gigs and just set it on the stage and recorded us. I've recorded practice sessions. I've done it. I did some tracks, um, for some of my videos. It was just simpler to set that on the kitchen table and turn it on and play the guitar into it. Even though I had a recording studio in my basement, it was just, it was something I used a lot. And when I got started on the podcast, I thought, well, I'll just use the old H2 and I've, I've got a little mixer set up here. Like, let me just describe to you what my current setup is. I'm speaking into an AKG C1000S condenser mic. It's on a stand here. I've got a little gob stopper in front of it. It's fed into a Mackie mixer, an old, uh, it's a 12 channel. It's a, anyway, it's an old mixer that I've had for a long time, kind of a little small mixer. I go into that and then I come out of it into the little digital, the little zoom digital recorder, because I really liked that thing because it used SD cards as the storage medium and it made no sound. There was no sound of a tape machine running or hard drive spinning and that kind of thing. And there was no computer fan noise. It's just totally solid state and silent. And I really liked that. And when I would get done recording the podcast, I could just pull the card out and poke it into my Macintosh and then do the final editing and converting it over to mono and getting it ready to upload so that you could listen to it. So that's what I've done for 52 episodes. Well, yesterday I was all set up to do a recording of an interview with a guy in Sweden by the name of Bo Gustafsson. He's a banjo player in Sweden. He's been a bluegrass player since the 1970s. And he made several trips over here to the U.S. And I met him on several times. And he's been to my house and we've jammed in my backyard. Anyway, I decided that I would do an interview with Bo and had it all set up. He came online. We were going to do it with Facebook chat. And I reached over and switched on my little Zoom H2. And nothing happened. It didn't light up. I thought, well, I don't have it plugged in. I plug it in. Nothing happened. Check the batteries. Nothing. That thing is deader than a doornail. It will do absolutely nothing. So all of a sudden, I had a mini crisis here. I've got to cook up a new way to capture the audio as I'm speaking. So I spent half a day yesterday on Amazon looking at all the new versions and all the different possibilities. 
And I know that I could record it directly to the computer, but I, I've never wanted to do that because, number one, I wouldn't be portable. I couldn't go like some of the interviews I've done at my kitchen table and some of them I've done by hopping in the car and just carrying that little thing with me. So I want to be portable. Anyway, today I'm doing the capturing the audio on an old Mac laptop that I have and running some audacity. So it may sound a little different today. I'm not sure because I haven't edited it yet. Edited it yet. Anyway, stuff breaks, you know. What a bummer. But I appreciate all you people who have uh, been Grass Talk Radio supporters. Those those 5 10 and $20 donations, uh, I have to admit, I've spent them on other things, dog food and gas for the car. But those things do help keep it running. I figured I got uh, seven or eight years out of that little recorder. It's probably time to replace it. So I may be dropping a couple hundred bucks on a new, new thing pretty soon. Anyway, just thought I'd tell you about some of the trials and tribulations of keeping this show running over here on my end. Okay, enough about all this. Let's get to the meat of the episode. I want to talk about writing tunes. And I'm going to try to go fast with this because... I swear we could sit around and talk for days and days about this. But what I want to do, what I want to come out of this is to get you in the mindset that you, whoever you are, can write a tune. Before we talk about tune writing, let me differentiate between tunes and songs. When I say a tune, I'm speaking of an instrumental. Like Foggy Mountain Breakdown, there's no words. I call that a tune. You might call it a melody. A tune, a melody. Then there are songs, and songs typically mean there are words. We sing songs. So, But, you know, people use the words interchangeably. Here, listen, play that song, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Well, you know what they mean, you know. So I'm not going to be technical you know, about that. But this episode is about writing tunes. So no words. Come back to that some other time. I've written a, a pile of songs with lyrics, a couple of them pretty good, and a lot of them not <laughs> very good at all. Going to come back to that idea in a future episode. This one is about the tune writing process and why I think you should do it. Okay, here's the first thing about writing tunes. You might say, I can't write a tune. Well, that, that, that may be true today, but if you would try, you might be surprised. And I want you to think about this fact. If everybody had your attitude, but I can't write a tune, there wouldn't be any tunes. There'd be nothing to play. We'd all go to a jam session, sit around and look at each other, just holding our instruments, going, what should we play? I don't know. Nobody ever took the time to write a tune. Oh, let's just go home. Somebody wrote every tune that we play. Every one of them. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And listen, if they can do it, you can do it. So... I'm just going to try to give you some thoughts to encourage you to write a tune. Okay, why should you write a tune? Well, one thing about writing tunes 
is that it will help you learn to play your instrument better. It'll help you learn to play music better. Because if you sit down and try to construct a tune that someone else is capable of playing, you're going to learn a lot about how tunes are organized and how the structure is laid out. And I would suggest that in the beginning, you just try to write a simple tune. And there, there's a lot of patterns in bluegrass music. You'll find that most songs and most tunes follow sort of typical patterns. What we're going to talk about today is primarily what I call fiddle tune writing. To write a fiddle tune. Now, you could play it on a banjo. You could play it on a dobro. You could play it on any instrument. But I'm going to mostly talk about fiddle tunes. Banjo tunes are composed similarly, and they've got a slightly different set of patterns that they tend to follow. But they're really interchangeable because let's say the band is playing Red Haired Boy. Well, that's a fiddle tune. It's also a mandolin tune. It's also a banjo tune. If you're playing um, Salt Creek, Old Joe Clark, Cripple Creek, all these things that you learned as a beginner, Cripple Creek is a banjo tune. It's also a fiddle tune. It's also a mandolin tune. It's also a guitar tune. It's also a dobro tune. You name it. We're going to in a little bit, come back and examine that, that basic structure so that you've got sort of a, a grid to lay down your first tune on. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the process of writing a song. And when I say song, here I've made the mistake already. I should have said tune, the process of writing a tune. Think about the song Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Great banjo tune written by Earl Scruggs. There's a lot of repetition in it. There are a lot of licks that are repeated and repeated and repeated. And ideas that are repeated, like when it goes to the E minor. Well, it comes back and does that again. Uh, there's a lot of repetition in it, and it is a set length, and it has a set chord progression, typically. Well, that's Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Well, Earl wrote that. But I want you to go on YouTube, and if I, if I can find some good examples, I'll put them on the show notes page for this episode. Listen to Foggy Mountain Breakdown, and then listen to Bluegrass Breakdown, which was a breakdown written by Bill Monroe. And if you can find the version of Bluegrass Breakdown played by Earl Scruggs, if you listen to that right after you listen to Foggy Mountain Breakdown, you're going to see what Earl did. Now, I give Earl full credit for creating the banjo break on Bluegrass Breakdown. He was inserting licks. He was creating his break to the basic melody that Monroe was laying down and chord progression. When he left, when Flat and Scruggs left Bill Monroe and they came out later with Foggy Mountain Breakdown, it's the same, very much the same tune. I think Earl even, you know, said, well, I just, you know, I just changed the, the C chord to an E minor, <laughs> you know? So sometimes you can take an existing tune and monkey around with a little bit and make something new out of it. That is clearly what happened with Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And I dare say more people today are familiar with Foggy Mountain Breakdown than Bluegrass Breakdown. But listen to them back to back. 
that should give you some inspiration that, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. Um, anyway, let me pull up a book here. There's a, there's a song, an instrumental written by J.D. Crow. Amazing banjo player, very Scruggs oriented, but with a lot of original takes and a lot of original ideas. And in other words, he contributed a lot to it, but essentially he's a Scruggs oriented player rather than a melodic player. He wrote a song, a tune called Blackjack. And if you have the book, and I hardly recommend it for every bluegrass musician, Masters of the Five String Banjo in Their Own Words and Music by Tony Trishka and Pete Wernick. If you go to page 170, there's the tune, the banjo tablature for Blackjack, as played and written by J.D. Crow. And here's what he said. This I'm quoting from the book. And I, it seems to be in response to, hey, J.D., how'd you come up with this song? And here's what the quote is. Well, that thing came out pretty quick. That's when Doyle Lawson was with me, and he helped me on that some. Like I said, we was just trying to do something to quit playing that same thing we'd been playing. And the thing came about in 10 minutes. But, but that thing about, we were just trying to do something to quit playing the same thing we'd been playing, makes me wonder what that same thing was. And I think I told the story in an early episode about me and my Pony Express buddies going to see J.D. Crow play. I wish I could remember which episode it was in. And us hollering, hey, J.D., play that Pike County Breakdown. And we just kept on and kept on and kept on. And he leaned over and said, uh, pass the word to the guitar player, uh, tell him, J.D. don't know that song, <laughs> which was totally not true. But I can understand him getting tired of playing the same stuff over and over. And maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you're sick of Cripple Creek. Well, write a new tune. Maybe take Cripple Creek and turn it into something else. That's what I'm suggesting that you do here. All right, so you sit down with your instrument. How do you turn it into a tune? How do you, how do you even come up with something? Well, let's turn to the master himself, Bill Monroe. Without Bill, there is no bluegrass. I've said that, and I firmly believe it. Let me read to you from Can't You Hear Me Calling. And God, if you're playing bluegrass, you, you should have this book. Buy the book. Read the book. By Richard D. Smith. Here we are, page 234 of Can't You Hear Me Calling. And this is describing Butch Robbins, who was Bill Monroe's banjo player, two different stints, but in the 1970s, late 70s especially. Butch Robbins, and he is recounting this. So here, here it is, direct quote. One night, about four in the morning, the two were awake on the bus. That's Robbins and Monroe. Robbins was softly playing his banjo. Monroe was playing solitaire. Bill mentioned a song of his, and Butch asked how he had come to write it. Monroe looked at Robbins through his thick-lensed glasses. I never wrote a tune in my life, he said. What do you mean by that? asked Robbins, surprised. 
Now, quoting Bill Monroe, Those tunes are all in the air, Monroe replied. I just happen to be the first one to pick them out. This brings up a big thing here, that perhaps we don't think of the tunes we think of. Perhaps our mind is merely some sort of transducer to pull the music out of the air or out of you know the universe around us. That is what Monroe is saying there. He's saying essentially that I didn't write anything. I just sort of discovered them or, you know, happened upon them and transmitted them. It's a, it's an interesting concept. The, the exact same incident is described in Butch Robbins book. What I know about what I know. I've mentioned this in some other episodes. So here's the same story in Bill. I mean, in, in uh, Butch's words, and this is on page 209 of what I know about what I know. After I became somewhat comfortable with relatively standard tunes of our performances, I worked on Monroe tunes of the past. I was fascinated with the rhythmic violence of Stony Lonesome. I had finished a pass at the tune when I looked across the aisle and asked Bill how he came to write the tune. Bill said, Well, I never wrote a tune in my life. I had been accustomed to hearing him say from the stage, I wrote this or I wrote that. Everything always come back, came back to, I done. It shocked me for him to say that he had never written a tune in his life, so I asked him what he meant. He said, ah, you know, the music's all out there in the air. I just happened to be the first one to pull it out. I was shocked enough that I remembered that statement until I was capable of understanding. Think about that when you're sitting there doodling around with your mandolin or your dobro, trying to think of, what do I play? I don't know what to play. I don't know what to play. Well, my advice there, and I think Bill Monroe's advice there is, you don't worry about it. Just start playing. Just start playing stuff, and if, the, if you hook up with the tune, it'll come out. Fiddling around. I wrote a, I've written a bunch of instrumentals, uh, and I had a little contest running on my website. I, I was just sitting there fooling around with my mail, and I was repeating this lick over and over and over, and it started to sound like a tune. So in a little bit, I had organized it into a standard AABB-type fiddle tune. Didn't have a title for it. I called it Bionic Mosquito, and I put the tab for it on my website, and I put a little note to the first person who would record themselves playing the tune, I would give them a free copy of my book, Madeline Masterclass. And that was a couple of years ago. Never heard from anyone. Figured nobody ever played it. And just this week, I got an email from a guy with a link to a YouTube video of him playing the tune. And it, it just shocked me. I couldn't believe somebody was actually playing my tune. So he won the contest and he got the free copy of the book. Anyway, how did I write that? I'm not really even sure. I certainly didn't sit down and think to myself, hmm, perhaps I should go up a major fourth. You know, I wasn't thinking. I was just fooling around. Get your instrument out and just start fooling around. Start repeating something. Find something that sounds good to you and repeat it a couple of times and see if it starts sounding like a tune. I'm not going to be able to tell you how to do this. 
what I am going to be able to tell you is that it won't happen if you don't try. Okay. You got to sit down and try to write a tune. Let me, let me tell you uh, another little thing that I always tell to my students when I'm encouraging them to write a tune is first of all, don't sit down to write a great tune. Forget that. Sit down to write 25 really bad tunes. Along the way, you're going to find a good one. A good one now and then. I mean, if I played you every tune I've ever written, some of them I've just, you know, I liked them at the time. And for whatever reason, they just didn't take root. I've still got them written down and parked in some folder somewhere. Perhaps I record it. Maybe I took it to the band and tried to get them to play it. Maybe we played it a little while and it just never really took root. Well, just move on. Just keep writing tunes. Pretty soon you'll get, you'll get a hit. So don't sit down to try to write the great tune. Sit down to, to write a tune and then sit down and write another one and write another one and another one and another one and another one. And I would tell people, Hey, you know that David Grisman tune called Opus 57? They go, yeah, I've heard of that. That's a great tune. I said, well, the, the, the idea of Opus is, comes from classical music and it just means my 57th composition. I call that Opus 57. It's just a way of cataloging your compositions. I said, have you ever heard Opus 56? How about 55? What about 54? 53? 52? Maybe. And I'm only saying maybe because I've never heard these. Grisman may love Opus 1 through 57. I don't know. But the point is, they're not all going to be great. You know? Maybe you just wrote Opus 55. And when you got to 56, that's pretty good, but the guys in the band didn't like it. Then you brought Opus 57 for whatever miraculous reason, it was a keeper and everybody learned it and everybody played. You get what I'm saying? So don't, you know, don't set your standards too high. Don't try to write a great tune. Just try to write a tune, write a tune, make yourself a little structure for it. Most fiddle tunes are two parts. They're usually eight measures in the A part repeated and then eight measures in the B part and you repeat that. So you play the A part twice and the B part twice. Just go look at old Joe Clark, red haired boy, salt Creek. Those are arranged exactly that way. Some tunes are fiddle tunes are half that length. There are four measures repeated. Then you go to the B part and there are four measures repeated. And sometimes there's a little bit of monkeying around at the ends of the parts. Sometimes they'll have alternate endings. Like you may go through the A part and play one ending. And then when you repeat it, you play a slightly different ending so that that transitions you into the B part a little better. But it's still the basic structure is A-A-B-B. So if you want to keep it simple, write yourself one of those four measure tunes. Four measures, that's the A part, followed by four measures, that's the B part. And just play those four measures twice and then jump to the B part and play it twice. That's your task. That's your little, your, your uh, template 
for constructing a tune. There's another thing in in the world of fiddle tunes. They a lot of old time fiddlers would think of the low part and the high part. Like the A part would be the low part where your melody is monkeying around in a lower range, and then the B part it would go to a higher range. So maybe think that way because you want to make the A part somewhat different than the B part, but you want them to work together. So the best way to understand this is to learn to play a few fiddle tunes and then really look at their structure. Say, what is going on here? They're playing the, the first three measures of the A part and then a fourth measure. Then it's all repeated, and those first three measures are exactly the same. And then they chained it just slightly, and then they jump to the B part. If you see this structure, if you understand this structure, try to duplicate that in your first tune writing efforts. Why make this hard? I mean, you might write a tune that was nine bars repeated, followed by 17 bars, and it may be the coolest thing ever written. But when you go to the Bluegrass Jam, most people are not expecting that type of structure. So keep it simple. Write yourself a simple little AABB tune. Use Cripple Creek as your model. Use Salt Creek, Old Joe Clark, Red Haired Boy, those common tunes. Just fill in some blanks and say, all right, what am I going to play here? And by the way, when I say a measure, I mean two bass beats. So a four measures, each measure contains two bass beats. And typically on the banjo, you'll play four notes of a roll during one beat. So you'll have eight notes per measure on a banjo. If you're playing straight ahead rolls, same goes for a mandolin. If you're playing, you know, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, that would constitute eight notes per measure. So four notes per beat. All you have to do, you don't have to remember this or anything if it's getting confusing. Just look at some of the fiddle tunes in the material that you already have. Look at that and go, okay, my task is to erase all these notes and fill it in with other notes of my own creation. It's challenging at first. You'll find it frustrating and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do at all. And again, just Pick up your instrument and start doodling around. And if you hear something you like, see if you can turn into a repeating pattern. Because one of the aspects of a tune is that will, it will repeat ideas. So if you get a little thing you like, try doing it a couple times in a row. And then maybe change it a little bit at the end. Bingo, you got your A part. Again, I cannot explain to you how this process happens. Think about, think about Bill Monroe pulling these out of the air. That's sort of what really happens. I cannot instruct you in what to write or I might as well just write it myself. Okay. So consider the structure. Also think about the key. Sometimes playing in a certain key will kind of inspire you as to what you might start with. Like it, you might sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write a tune in the key of A. And you already know some A licks because you've learned some other tunes in A, you know? So, and you probably won't have much trouble figuring out what the chords are because they're probably going to be similar chords to the other A tunes you've learned. So that can make it simpler. 
So think about the overall structure, how much time you have to fill. Think about the key you're in. Think about using repetition. Think about making the A part and the B part different yet the same, like related. There's a tune on them called Growl an Old Man and Growl an Old Woman, fiddle tune, where the growl an old man to me is the A part. It's down low. And then the B part is like the growl an old woman. It's up in a higher range. Listen to Kenny Baker do that tune. And you'll get the idea of how the A part and the B part can be expressing the same kind of ideas, but in a different way. And they, they still go together. Okay. So think about that. And then when, when you get your tune kind of figured out, figured out, record it and then play some rhythm chords along with it and figure out what chords make the most sense with that crazy melody you thought up and try different things. I've written several tunes that are highly dependent on the chords that are played behind them. And that tune I mentioned, Bionic Mosquito, that's on, on the website, I'll put a link to it on the show notes page to get you right over there real quick if you want to try that tune. It plays a repeating lick over and over and over, but the chords are changing behind it, and it totally changes the whole sound of the melody because of the context of the chords behind it. So when you're writing a melody, play some chords behind it and go, what does it sound like if I play a G there? What if I put an F there? What, you know, try to find the chords that fit your tune and then add those to what you've written down so that you can show it to a guitar player and say, here, play these chords while I play this, you know, that's how it's all done. So that's what you need to do too. So figure out the chords. A lot of these old, old fiddle tune books just have a melody written out and there's no chords written in it. Like if you get the book Cole's 1000, 1000 fiddle tunes, there's not a chord written in it. So you might think, well, I, I like to go from G to A minor. And when I play it, I might go, that sounds like G to C. You see, you're leaving it up to interpretation and those that melody will change its sound based upon the chord that's being played behind it. I wrote a, a tune called Turkey Creek. And the A part and the B part, the melody is identical. What I did was I changed the chord progression behind it. So I just play A-A-A-A. But the band plays A-A-B-B in terms of the chords. And it changes the tears the melody completely out of the context it was in and puts it in a completely different thing. You have to hear it with the chords to understand what I was trying to accomplish there. I, maybe if I can find Turkey Creek, I'll, I'll slap a link to it on the website too. Anyway, once you got your little tune and you, you got something scratched out for the chords, teach it to somebody. You'll learn a lot about your tune by trying to play it with someone else or, or just playing it for someone else. That's the moment of truth. Can you get somebody else to play it? Because if you can't get somebody else to play it, what's the point, you know? But when that happens, when you come up with a little tune and you teach it to somebody else and they like it, it's really fun. I've done this a lot of times where I've, I've come up with this mandolin tune. Then I would take it to band rehearsal, pass out the parts, you know, I'd, or try to teach it or explain it. Say, here, play these chords and this and that. 
and we would go through it and ah man it just wasn't sounding like what i expected you know the fiddle player i've got this thing in my mind where i you know i want him to play the notes that i'm playing but make it fiddly rather than mandoliny and then the banjo player i'm wanting him to pick up on certain important characteristics of the melody and you know be scruggsing away over there but still hitting the high points, the the important stuff in the tune. And the guitar player wanted to play these chords, not some other chords. So I go through this process, and some of them just fell flat on their face. And others just, man, that the band would just take to immediately. And I, I have a lot of times at a jam session tried to get the jam to play one of my tunes, and one of the roadblocks I would come into all the time would be the chords. Sometimes I wrote things that were just a little complex to get across, like in 10 seconds, telling somebody how to do it. And, you know, it wouldn't go so well. So I, I sat down one day and decided to write a tune that my goal was write a bluegrass instrumental that is so simple. I can teach it to anyone in one minute. <laughs> and I did. I wrote this tune called Pigeon Hill, and it has two chords, an A and a D. That's it. And what I found out, the problem I had every time I brought this tune into a, a jam session, said, here, play this. It's just, you know, A, 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 D, you know, I would explain it like that and then start playing the tune is that everybody always wanted to stick three chords in it. You know, they want to. They were trying to stick in that E chord, which didn't exist. And I'm like, no, it's just, I swear, it's just two chords. Two chords. So simple. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll stick that tune up on the website, too. But if you want other people to play your tunes, I guess all I'm saying is you might not want to make them too crazy complicated, especially if you just want to do them at a jam session. With a band, it's a little bit different. I have a, another tune I wrote called Madonna, which was just a the craziest thing. It's actually, I, it's really four parts instead of the typical A, A, B, B fiddle tune. There's an A part and a B part and a C part, and then a, a tag that you could call the D part. And it's insane. It took me a while to teach it to the guys. And uh, there's a recording of that. I, I'll put a link to that thing too. That that's sort of that's not the kind of tune you can take to a jam session and expect to have any success with it. You really need to be performing with a band to do those sort of complex tunes. All right, I've yacked enough about tune writing. I want you to forget that idea that you can't write a tune because I'm telling you, if an idiot like me can write a tune, you can write a tune and it'll probably be better than anything I ever wrote. And also prepare yourself for the for the fact that 24 out of the next 25 tunes you write probably aren't going to be all that great. You know, don't worry about it. The way you get a good tune is just keep on doing it. The beaver effect. Remember that episode? All right. I'm going to close out here. Might come back to this topic one of these days. And if you write a little tune and you're very proud of it, 
email it to me, record yourself doing it, make a little YouTube video or something, send it to me and say, Hey, you know what? You were right. I, I didn't think I could write a tune and by God, I wrote one and here it is. Send it to me. I'll put it on the show or put it in a future show notes or something. And lastly, just remember what I said. If everybody believed they couldn't write a tune, we wouldn't have any tunes to play. And then there's that final thing. You know, when you're dead and gone, if somebody's still playing your tune, even if they don't know you wrote it, in a way, you're still knocking around the old bluegrass jam sessions. Think about how many tunes we play and we don't have a clue who wrote them. It might be somebody 200 years ago just fiddling around on his porch, made up a tune, and we're still playing it. Well, in a sense, that person is still alive. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. Happy birthday to Grass Talk Radio. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.